0: Welcome to More Than 7 Dirty Words, the official FCC podcast. I'm Evan Schwarztrauber. Local news is important for many reasons, but it's often said that local broadcasters are at their finest when disaster strikes. We've seen this time and again, whether it was the recent hurricanes in Florida or Puerto Rico or Houston or other crises that have impacted communities across the country. And we saw this in December of last year when wildfires and mudslides hit California. So what role did broadcasting play in public safety and the response to these months-long disasters? To find out, I went to The Source. We're recording this episode in Santa Barbara at KEYT, better known here as News Channel 3, one of the TV stations closely involved in covering these disasters. Joining me is Mark Danielson, general manager of NPG, the News Press Gazette company, which owns this station. Mark, thanks for joining.
1: Glad to be here, Evan. Sure appreciate it.
0: So, Mark, according to a cursory search of your LinkedIn page, this isn't your first job in the broadcast business. So, uh, in a few words, how did you get to be the general manager of NPG?
1: Well, you know, I'm, I've actually been in the business, like, 30 years, which is kind of hard to believe. Uh, Started in a small market in Twin Falls, Idaho, but became a general manager in Idaho Falls working for News Press and Gazette company back in 2007. So approaching 11 years as general manager and moved here in 2012 when we acquired the stations from another company.
0: All right. So from Idaho to Santa Barbara, not the most typical uh, journey, but uh, I'm sure you're enjoying the weather just like I am. Um, So let's get right to it. In December of 2017, the Thomas fire hit Ventura County. First, uh, what did this fire do to Ventura County and what was News Channel 3's reaction initially? It was
1: just devastating. But of course, in December 4th, when that first fire broke out, it was around 8 o'clock in the evening where the first um, first uh, word and images uh, started coming from Santa Paula where the, star, where the fire started. That's when uh, our news operation first broke in, I believe, on our website. And at that time, it was covered like a, a typical breaking news story. So nobody could have imagined what was going to become of the Thomas fire and how it was going to grow over what became 66 days of coverage. So the fire hit. Um, we went on the air about nine o'clock p.m. Pacific time and continued our coverage through midnight and didn't restart our coverage until the next day. And that's when we started to realize um, what had happened to uh, another area, uh, uh, the garden uh, the Garden villa uh, in Ventura, which really burned to the ground. It was just devastating
0: what happened. So of course, you did cover the press conferences from, you know, law enforcement officials. What sort of coordination happens between, you know, a television station and the entities that are responding to the fire, whether it's the fire department or EMS or police or FEMA? I mean, what what sort of conversations and information sharing goes on between a TV station and those entities?
1: Unfortunately, being in this part of, of, uh, of the country and this part of California, we, we're really used to covering wildfires I mean it's it's part of it's almost a part of our DNA now and but because of that we have a really strong relationship um, with the first responders Um, they understand our role in it and really we consider each other we are all part of the first responders and this is what we do as an organization so uh, you know it started out with the local PIOs, making sure that we were informed, we were um, covering their news conferences, getting the information directly, and reporting it live to all of our viewers. But as that fire started to escalate, then more and more resources started coming in um, from CAL FIRE, and, and the, the organization of, of the first responders started to become more massive and, and actually um, more coordinated with um, town hall meetings, uh, sometimes hourly, sometimes you know every few hours they would do briefings we would start covering those events live on all of our platforms traditional legacy broadcasts, meaning the television station but also on our digital platforms which this really became you know a a, a global story at that time because viewers and customers were watching what was happening from all parts of the globe
0: Right, and this being the internet age, if you're not in this market and you don't receive those over-the-air signals, you can still follow it. Um, your reporters were using Facebook Live. Um, apparently, you also built a website in the wake of this disaster, which might not be the most typical thing for a television station, but uh, obviously, new means of communication. People are relying you know, more and more on the internet to get their information. To the To the extent that they had internet access, I'm sure a lot of uh, you know, cell towers and other things were implicated by the fire. But um, tell us about this website that you guys put up.
1: We there's so much information that happens during times of disasters. I mean, the, the information is massive, and part of what our role is is to kind of is to gather that information and put it in a form that a customer, or a user, can find and make it useful to their in their lives. One of our most successful things, um, Oscar put together what we called the Map Room. And and really it's it's as simple as that but it became like a lifeline to so many people wanting to know okay where is the fire at this moment where are the evacuation areas and if you live here it's if you don't live here it's almost hard to understand about how important that is to and to get it right because where is the fire at this moment and watching hour by hour as it may be changing or maybe not changing but where those evacuation areas are or may may be where those evacuations are going to hit next. That became one of the most useful tools that we built that Oscar uh, Flores really built for us on our website. In fact, uh, the customers and our users kept asking for it by, you know, have you updated the map room? Where's the map room? Um, it, It really became one of the most vital tools out of everything we did. You know, video is important, the story is important, but knowing where the fire is and where those evacuation lines are, became such an important part of what our coverage and content was.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a reason that people often say that the information they get from broadcasters can be life or death in situations like this. And that's literally true. And, uh, you know, this website provided information about power outages and school closures and air quality and all sorts of different things. Now, of course, when the fire started spreading towards Santa Barbara, that changes things for you. It's now it's in your backyard. You're not covering something that's a little bit further away that's still in your market, but it's now really starting to get serious. I mean, how did that change the way the station was covering the fire? And you know what, what did that mean for you guys, given that it was starting to get closer and closer to home? Since the fire
1: began on December 4th, we were in a mode of being on the air with updates really every hour of the day. But our, about uh, December 10th, which is a Sunday, as the fire started to approach Santa Barbara and Carpinteria, then it became an even more major er- major issue uh, as that we were getting ready to consider evacuation of parts of Carpinteria. Mm-hmm. So our, our news station went on the air su- continuously, beginning at 4 a.m. on that Sunday, for about 13 and a half hours nonstop taking a brief half-hour break at 6 p.m., and then continuing all the way into the next morning for another 17 and a half hours, um, ending at 1130 that day. But if this, when, when you're in that kind of a mode, what we understood is that uh, we had to be there for our customers. Um, they Even if at the moment things were calm, just being there gave the community a sense of, okay, we know they're watching. We know they're there for us. So even in the middle of the night at 2 a.m., the viewership levels were something at, uh, peaking at levels we had never seen before. Really, I think because we were that security blanket for everybody and, and we understood that we had to be there. Even when the, when the serious danger at that moment passed on uh, going into Monday and we, we ceased our continuous coverage, we still knew we had to be there every hour with live updates When I mean every hour, I mean all night long, just to be that security blanket for our customers. And so that was happening on our legacy property, the television station, but we were continuing to supply content, updating that map room um, on our digital platforms as well.
0: And when there's a disaster like this, I've heard that you know broadcasters kind of set aside their competitive pressures and the day-to-day battle for ads and things like that, and really start to cooperate, whether it's a radio station or it's a fellow television station, it really seems to be an all-hands-on-deck situation. Was that your experience with the wildfires and the mudslides, and what sort of cooperation went on with other entities in the broadcast space?
1: What the community started to realize is that in times of a disaster and emergency, they had only one place to turn, and that's their local broadcaster for news and information, because all the other media outlets are all over the country, they don't have people that live and work and understand the market. Um, we knew that um, this is really our home, um, and it doesn't matter how you're getting the information when life and property are literally at risk. So what did we do? So not only were we, we, it didn't matter um, the cost. Um, We were on continuously, in fact, we were on generator power most of the time. These are little things that a lot of the community doesn't realize, but just to keep everything on, we were on generator most of the time uh, for sometimes days and days and days. we also uh, reached out to all the broadcast radio stations in the market, and and we we did it in a very simple way on the air. We said, "If you're a radio station and need to take, um, please take our signal. It you know you have our permission." A few of them called us personally and said, "Are you sure? Do you mean it?" And we said, "Absolutely," because at this point, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Where they're getting the information from, they just need to get it from. It's not about competitive or call letters or branding at that point. It's about we got to be there for everybody because the community really is depending on us. And you know, you you saw that and you saw the you know the, the amount of gratitude and the love in the community just because you know we didn't even think twice about it. It wasn't. I wish I could tell you it was a calculated thought, well thought out plan, but we knew they the community just needed it because. Some people didn't have power. Some people didn't have cable. Some people couldn't see the television station. Maybe they didn't have internet. You have to think about, in times of disaster, those things that we take for granted, like uh, internet access, cellular communication, it may not work. And sometimes the old-fashioned legacy broadcast is what works, meaning radio and television, people had a way to get those, whether they're in their car or uh, even maybe on their other device or or, or an old-fashioned radio. Does anybody have those? They do have those, and they relied on those things, and it was a really powerful thing.
0: Now, of course, the devastation in terms of the sheer numbers is probably fairly compelling, and feel free to share those numbers as well, but... You know, in times of disaster, there's often some stories that stick with folks that were involved. Whether it's from your reporters or others who were on the ground responding, is there a story or something you know from the fires and mudslides that really sticks to you and helps you know crystallize the relationship with between broadcasters, first responders, the communities they're serving?
1: I what what happened here, nobody could have predicted it. we couldn't have prepared really for the the kind of catastrophic damage and and what turned out to be loss of life there were uh, twenty three lives were lost and in 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 this as it as the as the fires evolved into what happened is the mudslide in Montecito and two people as of today are still have not been recovered yet um, but you know people. Rediscovered, you know, the importance of local broadcast and local news and information. Um, uh, again, because I think people realize that you can't get that important content information from any other source. Because the, it's the local broadcasters, the local. Com- we live here. We work here. These are our families. Um, it's our community too, and that's how that's what we looked at, and and that's how we felt about it. Um, everybody. At this organization, and, you know I, I'm, I'm so proud of everybody because everybody rose to the occasion. Um, if you think about working sixty six days of coverage, that means everybody on staff worked twelve hour shifts for sixty six days. Sometimes their own homes were they were out of their own homes. sometimes we had We had people um, sharing we had all the hotel rooms we could acquire. I mean, if you can imagine that, a city people were evacuated. We had we had our own staff in hotel rooms, sharing rooms, um, because they couldn't get to their home in some cases. Um, you know, a commute. There's a, a new sense of community that um, this has always been a tight community, but I think the the sense of community is stronger than it really has ever been, where where people. Just, we need to know who our neighbors are, because we're out here to help each other, and and that's the kind of feeling that, that you have today, um, and that's what the feeling was like then, but it still continues, and that effect continues on um, every moment, even when I walk down the streets today, because uh, it's a small town, people will say, Mark, I just want to t- thank you again for what you and your stations and everybody did for us during the most horrific time and how important it was just knowing that you were there. Even at two o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the morning when they turned their TV on, we were there. But you know, this really impacted you know, our, uh, this, uh, the lives of everybody here. Um, those, a lot of those victims, were we knew them. Um, people who worked here for 20, 30, 40 years, they, they, were, they were part of not our direct family, but friends. It's, there's nothing harder to see what, what is happening to your community when their homes are literally wiped off their foundation, um, children, um, pillars of the community, you know, gone after a moment um, and something that is so horrific, um, it, you know, it forever changed us. I mean, I can't tell you it didn't, but I'm um, just really proud of what our organization has done and how everybody kind of, you know, came together and there's still that sense of community is stronger than it's ever, ever been
0: yeah and this was a bit of a long slog. I mean, <clears throat> sometimes with you know disasters, they're very quick, very deadly. And then after a few days the the coverage switches to the healing and the rebuilding process. but in this case, it was you know a combination of that, but also this went on for sixty six days. It was a bit of a slow burn because of the way that the fires led to mudslides. Um, and of course, there are all sorts of lessons learned, you know, whether it's things we could have done better or things we did really well that need to be replicated for the future but one thing that's particularly interesting about this station is that uh the next generation of television is on its way and um santa barbara is one of the first towns to have that 3.0 uh next gen tv up and running of course it hasn't been adopted by consumers yet it's still in a testing phase but um you know in addition to 4k and ultra hd and some of the you know fancy Uh, shiny aspects of the technology, there is a potential for improvements to public safety and better targeting of information. Is that something that comes to mind when you think about the wildfires and the mudslides? And, you know, you said it yourself. I mean, this is not the last time that communities in California are going to have to deal with these problems, unfortunately. But is there a hope that this new generation of television will be able to improve the things that you guys do best, which is keeping the community informed of when disaster strikes?
1: This is the ATSC 3.0 decision and and why we push really hard to make it happen in this market. One of the reasons, really, is because of the disasters that we went through, because we see some incredible potential. Not, Of course, it's going to have lots of things that customers on a daily basis are get excited about, the technology. But in times of disaster, being able to alert people in specific zones, that technology is real, and it can make a difference. But I also see applications where where our main broadcast is covering whatever event, most likely it's going to be a fire again. But at the same time, that combination of broadcast and the broadband technology together will allow our users to see all of our different live feeds wherever they, there may be. And it, during the Thomas fire, we had five, six live feeds up simultaneously as our crews were covering the area in addition to what was on the air. Viewers will have access to that if they have a specific need. The, 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 the future is pretty powerful in what it can provide for disasters and emergency coverage.
0: Of course, one feature in particular, the ability to wake up a sleeping device, Um, that could become particularly important because I know you've talked about how sometimes these disasters strike in the middle of the night, and those are precious hours that are potentially being wasted if people are asleep, so um, under the new generation of television standard you would in theory be able to wake up every device whether it's a phone a television an ipad etc and start getting that information out immediately um you know where do things stand a year later i know you mentioned there you know some of the there there there's still two outstanding uh victims which is obviously terrible um you know in terms of rebuilding and healing any thoughts on that and then things you've learned, best practices to share with, you know, listeners who might not live here, but things that are generally applicable anywhere when disaster strikes. First,
1: the loss of life was, was, was certainly tragic. And, and, um, Jack and Lydia are two, um, two victims, which have not been recovered yet. And I know we're, we're hoping and doing everything they can to continue to find them. But looking at things, looking forward, um, you know, um, if, if I were asked, you know, wh- what could another broadcaster do to kind of help prepare or make their coverage or be ready if they can in times of disaster? Relationships with the first responders. Um, maybe it's the type of community we are. Um, in my 30 years, I've, I've never been anywhere that had such a tight relationship with the first responders. Maybe it's because we're not strangers to disasters. We, we get fires. We get wildfires, but having that relationship with the first responders um, allows us to get access to information, get it quickly. They trust us. Again, we we, we know them. I, my kids go to school with them. I mean, it's 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 a family, but you've got to build that relationship. It's It's got to be more than just an email you send to somebody. It, relationships matter. Um, another thing that's really important that I could offer to broadcasters is Make sure all your equipment works. Well, you might think, well, of course you would. Well, think about that a little deeper. In times of disaster, we, we, um, at this operation, we keep three modes of, of gathering live content operational. Um, we use a comp- there's, there's, there's many companies out there, but we use a, a bonded cellular service. LiveU and DeGero are probably the two biggest. And they work great day to day. But in times of disaster, one of the things that may fail and did and does and has time and time again, sometimes those cell towers are wiped out and gone. And that technology which we relied on so- to cover the Thomas fire w- during the mudslide, it made it very challenging in Montecito because those the towers were in some cases destroyed and that technology didn't work. We oh, we keep two, what I, I'll call them legacy again, legacy ENG vehicles operational. It uses, I'll call it, old-fashioned microwave technology. We've, you've got to keep those things running and operational, because in, some, in those cases of disasters, some of the things that you rely on day-to-day, like the internet, it's not, not always there. So, you've got to keep all those things functioning. So, I have ENG, I use bonded cellular technology, and I also use, I have one satellite truck. So, making sure in a small market that, those, that the staff under, knows how to work them operate those things if they don't do it every day we have a policy that multiple times a month they've got to they've got to use the eng equipment just to make sure it operates correctly and that the uh the technicians understand how to how to use it Um, and the same with the satellite Um, and then news department you know we have a culture of handling breaking news here because we we handle fires it's a it's a part unfortunate part of where we live Um, but relationship with first responders, keep your equipment running, and a news department that has a culture of understanding and handling breaking news. And if you're not in a market that is used to it, maybe you need to come up with a breaking news plan or, or have exercises that test you during times of, of crisis because you don't want to find out that you're not prepared or don't have the infrastructure when your community, uh, your viewers, need you the most. So those are the things
0: that I'd recommend people do. Well, listeners, in case you were wondering, I did not fly 3,000 miles just to record a podcast. I was in Santa Barbara anyway for a wedding, but uh, Mark and I were emailing back and forth about potentially doing one, and uh, fortunately, uh, this was on my list of places to go anyway, so it was really great to come visit the station, and I guess uh, I'm sure you've received other awards in your career, but um, I can congratulate you on being the first non-FCC employee uh, to be interviewed for the podcast and also the first... Uh, non-dc recording of the podcast so i'm sure those are very um exciting honors for you to add to your uh to your wall of plaques um <laughs> but that's it for today's show uh, my guest has been mark danielson general manager of npg the news press gazette company which owns keyt the station where we are recording mark thanks so much for joining thanks evan it's a pleasure find this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Please leave us a review because it will help others find the show. Thanks for listening.